Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim, and I'm the host of this program. More than a year ago, when the United States Supreme Court announced the legalization of same sex marriage, you may remember when the White House building lighted with rainbow like colors on the news. The side of the White House, which represents the United States being lighted with rainbow like colors, was quite a shock to me. But it wasn't even just the White House. That day, all around the United States, People had a festival of victory, waving the rainbow flag as though they were mocking those who were against homosexuality. The rainbow colors at some time had started to be used as a symbol of homosexuals, but did you realize that there was a bit of a difference between their symbol and the rainbow? The rainbow colors symbolizing homosexuals consists of only six colors. Having taken out one of the colors from the original seven colored rainbow. When I ponder about why they used a rainbow as their symbol, why they took out one of their colors and started using a six colored rainbow, I remember the story in Genesis where the rainbow first appears in the Bible. In the time of Noah, God looks upon the great wickedness of man, and while grieving and regretting, says he will blot out all of his creation. Everyone on the face of the earth is wiped away by the flood of judgment. However, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. When no one could escape God's wrath, Noah, a man of God, and his family were able to receive God's grace. We who are living in these last days, when sinfulness is becoming more widespread and the battle for truth is becoming more chaotic, I hope that we carefully and deeply think about how we shall live in this age, getting closer to the day of Christ's return, by looking at Noah's example. Shouldn't our model of living as people of God be someone like Noah who has received God's saving grace, not the people of the world who are going to perish? Today I would like to talk about more about how Noah was blessed by God, how he lived with such blessings, as we reflect on our own walk of faith. We'll come back to share more after our first song. We pray for blessings, we pray for peace. Comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoke. Need. Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. 
Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Pray for wisdom, your voice to hear And we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love As if every promise from your word is not Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, 
and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the words of Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. When I read these words, I can once again see how God hates sin. But I can also see from verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. How great God's grace and blessings are. When everyone was walking down a path toward their destruction, what kind of a man was Noah that he received God's saving grace? The Bible explains the reason in the next verse. In chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. What kind of a man was Noah that the Bible records that he was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and that he walked with God? I believe that Noah was considered such because he had the faith to obey God's words in all things. Genesis chapter 6 verse 22 and chapter 7 verse 5 are some examples that describe Noah's character rather simply. This Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. It is said that Noah did everything God commanded him, whatever it was. Noah was a man who was always mindful of God, walking with him, living with God as the center of his life. Don't you also think that this is why the Bible describes him as a righteous man, blameless in his time? Because he always obeyed God exactly as he commanded him. But while approved by God, what was Noah's life like in this world? Was everything going smooth for him, without any difficulties, enjoying all the comforts while residing in God's grace? As we all know, Noah's task of building the ark proved to be an exhausting life, and he had to build one on a mountainside instead of near the ocean, no less. Wouldn't this have seemed like a foolish work in anyone's sight? How much mockery and derision would Noah have had to endure? I think about Noah who quietly did what the Lord had commanded him to do while having to listen to all the mockery and criticisms from other people. I wonder how lonely he could have felt at times, perhaps losing heart in his task. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Living as a person who has found favor in the eyes of the Lord, as a person who has received grace and salvation, wouldn't this mean living a life with different values than the values put forth by this world? When Noah lived according to God's standards, instead of chasing after the things that the world values, What he received in return was not the approval of men, nor success, nor riches. Noah was mocked by the world for 120 years, but what was the result of his quiet obedience? It was that when humanity perished by God's terrible wrath manifest in the flood, Noah received salvation because he had found favor in the eyes of the Lord, because of God's grace. If he were to have been respected by all men, achieved a rich life that won the envy of many people, what significance would that have had? There was no need of anyone's approval. They all perished. 
When fear feels bigger than my faith And struggles steal my breath away When my back's pressed up against the wall With the weight of my worries stacked up tall You're strong enough to hold it all I will cast my cares on you You're the anchor of my hope The only one who's in control I will cast my cares on you I'll trade the troubles of this world For your peace inside my soul This was not what I would have chosen You no one knows yet And you're still good When I can see the working of your hands You're holding it all I will cast my cares on you You're the anchor of my hope The only one who's in control Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is Grace, 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 Part 2, based on Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Francis. Some of you need to fight for your freedom. You really do. Because all your lives, you've been taught something else. And for the most part, you believe that Jesus died on that cross 
and he paid for all of your sins and he rose from your, the grave showing you that you've got eternal life. For the most part, you believe that. For the most part, you believe that you're free. But I'm willing to bet that for almost everyone in this room, in the back of your mind, there's still some question of whether or not the cross is enough. Some of you are still wondering because you came out of that background just like them. You're going, man, but I'm not at the Jewish temple anymore. All my life I was told I got to go attend the temple. I got to take part in the festivals. And so now you hear about this freedom in Christ, but in the back of your mind, there's still these haunting voices that go, yeah, but maybe I should do that also. Some of you in this room, you've been set free by Christ, but in the back of your mind, you're going, ah, but I haven't attended mass I haven't done the rosary. I haven't confessed to a priest. I haven't done my penance. And so in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't know. I, I still have some guilt for leaving. Others of you, you left the Watchtower Society. And they told you, you can't interpret this Bible just with you and the Holy Spirit. You need the Watchtower Society. You need to be a part of the kingdom. It's in the back of your mind, all those years of being told, don't you leave the kingdom Don't you go to one of those apostate churches and you're sitting there going, man, but that's the truth and that's Christ and there is freedom in Christ. But there's still some bondage in your head. Some of you in your minds, you you uh, you still struggle because you think, no, I still need the temple ceremonies. And you were told that you could never attain godhood unless you accepted Joseph Smith as your prophet. And there's still things you need to do in order to become a god yourself. And there's still guilt back there. And it's like, no, but the Bible teaches about Christ and how Christ sets you free. But no, all these years of getting in your head and saying, no, you must do this, must do this, must do this also. Others of you, you've been set free by Christ. But in your mind, you're going, I never made my pilgrimage to Mecca. I, I, I should be praying five times a day. I should be fasting. And you're thinking about those pillars that were the pillars of your life for so long. Some of you grew up in evangelical churches and you were taught about freedom in Christ, but still you have doubts because in the back of your mind you're going, yeah, but I've done some really bad things, things that no one knows about. And they were things that I did after becoming a Christian when I should have known better. And so it's like, well, am I really a Christian? Did I... And you want to believe, no, I'm free, I'm free. No, if I die today, I would just go straight to heaven. This is the greatest thing in the world. Jesus died on that cross. He rose from the grave. My chains are free. But in the back of your head, you're going, oh, but I don't know. I don't know. I've done some pretty bad things. And some of you have bought into this lie that you've heard your your whole life that, no, you're a good person. In fact, we're all good people. And good people go to heaven, so we're all going to heaven. And, and, and But in the back of your mind, you know the truth about yourself, even though everyone else tells you, no, you're a good person, you're a good person, you're a good person, and you'll even say it, yeah, I am a good person. No, you know what you've done. You and God know what you've done, and you would not want it to flash on the screen your ten worst moments in life that no one knows about. And you, you when you go to bed at night, you know, and I'm not a good person, and God knows. And so all these things haunt you. And you've been told all your life you're not good enough. Are you sure you've done enough? Are you sure you're good enough? Are you sure you've done all the rituals, all the traditions that you were taught your whole life? 
And so you come in here with that baggage. You come in here with this fog. And I do too. And God says, I want you to be completely free. I I want you to just totally know and understand my grace. But you can't. You're struggling with it. I've struggled with it. To really believe in complete freedom because of the cross and what Jesus did on that cross. And I'm here this morning to tell you, get rid of those voices in your head. Get rid of all the traditions that you were brought up with saying you have to do this, have to do this, have to do this. You're free. You know why? Because of this. Do you understand what this represents? Do you understand what this represents? This is, this is not my body that was broken for you. This represents the Creator. Think about this. The Creator. Through Him all things were made. Talking about Jesus. Through Him nothing was made on this earth. This whole earth. He made everything. And then He, the Creator of the world, came down here, took human form, and then had His body broken. The Creator. The Creator. Think about it. God, the one who made the earth, comes down and His body is broken for you on that cross. His flesh is torn apart for you. Saying, look, I am going to pay for all of your sins, past, present, future. I am going to pay. The Son of God gives His life, breaks His body for you so that you can be free. And you're going to sit there and think, well, I need the Son of God, the Creator, to break His body. Plus, I'm going to help Him along. By obeying a law? By a tradition? So something you're going to do, something this little created being on the earth, because the Creator coming down and breaking His bread for you, breaking His body for you, isn't enough? He's saying, no, that set you free. You know why you're free, despite what anyone's told you? Because of this, the blood of Jesus Christ. Guys, this isn't my blood. This is the blood of Jesus Christ. The Son of God, the Creator comes down, sheds his blood for you and saying, look, I will pay for your crime. I'll switch places with you. I'll set you free. I'll do it all. I'll become sin on your behalf. I'll take all of your sins on the cross and my blood, God in the flesh, will be shed for you. What are you going to add to that? God needs you to add something to that? The point of communion was that you've been set free. And don't let anyone take that freedom away from you. Don't let anyone tell you, no, you still got to do this. You still got to do this. You got to still do this. Paul says, I didn't give in to them for a moment. Because the blood of Jesus Christ set you free. Get rid of your baggage this morning. Get rid of all those voices telling you, well, but maybe I need to do this. Maybe I need to do that. Does that really make sense to you that you could add to the body and blood of Jesus Christ? It's for freedom that you've been set free. Just be thanking God. Just get rid of any disbelief that you have. Like that guy said to Jesus, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Say, God, help me with the fog. Help me with my issues. Get them out there. Help me to really believe right now, despite anything I've done, that I'm completely free because of the cross, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just want to say a few more words about the rest of this passage. 
because uh, this helped me so much. In verse 6, this is a really key verse. Paul's talking about those, uh, those apostles that he met with. And he says in verse 6, he goes, As for those who seem to be important, he's talking about Peter, James, and John, because these people were lifting them up as such great apostles. Paul was not being disrespectful here. Understand that. He's making a point, though. He goes, as for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God doesn't judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I'd been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. Now, what Paul says is he's explaining to these people, look, I know you guys think these apostles are so great. He goes, what they are really doesn't matter to me doesn't make any difference to me. Now, he wasn't saying that disrespectfully. What he was saying was, I received a message from God. So who cares if people say something? What are they going to do? Add to that? What are they going to validate that? I heard from Almighty God. See, you guys are all into these people. Well, this person says this. He goes, it doesn't matter. I heard from God. Now he explains, he goes, now, when I did explain this message to these people, they agreed with me. You know, later he even explains, he goes, they, verse 9, James, Peter, John, those reputed to be pillars, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. He goes, look, they agreed with my message. They didn't add to my message. They didn't say, hey, Paul, okay, you got this right, but add this, add this, add this. He goes, we're in agreement. He goes, but that doesn't, that's not the issue. He goes, the point is it doesn't matter what they say. The point is, is I got a message from God and I, I got to learn from that from Paul. Again, he's not being arrogant. He's being confident with what God had taught him. He was confident with the very word of God and saying, look, if God teaches you something from his word, don't let anyone else tell you differently. He goes, now, these guys didn't tell me differently, but even if they did, I wouldn't care. Because that came from the mouth of God. That was the word of God. And he goes, so what these men were made no difference to me. You see, I realized that a lot of my freedom has been taken away or I allowed people to take it away from me. I knew what God taught me from his word, but those other voices, I gave in to them. People telling me things that weren't in the Bible, but it still affects you, doesn't it? Even though you know it's not biblical, even though you know it's not in there, you let it affect you. You give in to it for a moment, unlike Paul. And you start listening to it because it's from prominent people, important people. And Paul's saying, it doesn't matter. It came from God. And I realize, well, a lot of the things I do in, I'm unsure of, not because it's not in the Word of God, but because I'm listening to these voices. And they're trying to rob me of my freedom. They're trying to make me slaves of things that I'm not supposed to be enslaved to. Christ set me free from those things. And I realized, you know, all these years of emails and phone calls and criticisms of, of, of you, you know what? You're wearing jeans. You're not even wearing real shoes. You shave your head. You play with fog. You guys, you guys don't sing all hymns. You don't do this. You don't do that. You joke around too much. Man, and I start going, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you know what? Maybe I do. Maybe that isn't. Uh, I start thinking, no, no, why do I do the things I do? Because of the word of God. Why do I dress like this? Because this is the way I dress every day of the week. And I believe God wants me to be the same person Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I want to make a point about that. And so, you know what? My heart should be right all throughout the week. And I should be the same person when I leave this room as when I come into this room. That's why I do what I do. In fact, today I wore my jeans with a hole in it. Just to really bug some of you. 
because I'm free. I didn't even zip them up. But, you know, you get in those voices of people saying, no, you have to wear a tie. You know, Jesus wore a tie. Everyone. But you start. Why? Because your baggage, your issues. And just going, no, I'm free to do whatever. The only thing I'm in bondage to is love. The Bible says just love. And I go, you know what? I'm going to dress in the most loving way I, I can think of. And that's by showing you a person who's the same way he is all throughout the week. Same person up here as down there. I think that's most loving. And prepare my heart, not my outward appearance. Be more focused on the heart. Why do I joke around? Because I'm funny. <laughs> Why are you so serious? You know, it's, it's just, there's nothing in here that says I can't be funny. It's the way God made me. Sometimes I don't even try to be funny. Kind of funny comes out, see? It's just, no, it's just, it's who I am. I'm free to be that. It's okay. And all these things that we've been told, you know, like, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. And all these burdens, like, no, I'm free from that. I can do whatever I want in love. Man, I, I, you know, it doesn't mean we disregard the things of God. Man, but he's saying just, you know, the whole, all the laws can be summed up with one command. He says that later in Galatians. Love. Love your neighbor as yourself. You say it in love. You do it in love. You dress in love. You worship in love. Why do some people, you know, some of you guys are bugged. Oh, people will raise their hands. Other people don't. Some get on their knees. Some don't. You guys, where's the rule there? I'm not seeing it. So don't enforce rules that aren't in this book. It's not biblical. And Paul says, look, I'm not getting bound by that. Now, I know that some of you guys are scared right now because I'm preaching on grace. And some of you, this scares you because you think in your mind, Francis, why did you just say that? Because now people are going to think, well, I can just be forgiven of anything. So I'm just going to go on in my sin and God doesn't care what I do, right? And so, and some of you guys are going, man, you let my kid hear that message. I've been, you know, trying to scare him with hell and everything else. And now you're telling him, hey, you know what? Everything's wiped away. He's just going to go on in their sin. And you're going, man, don't preach this. People are even saying, man, Francis preaches grace, grace, grace. People are just going to sin like crazy. And let me tell you, I understand that fear. And it's that same fear that's kept me from preaching grace all these years. I've been scared to preach the grace of Jesus Christ. Because just like you, I cannot stand hypocrisy in the church. I can't stand the reputation of the church. And uh, just in general, not on my cornerstone, just, just the general reputation of church. I hate the, the hypocrisy. And so what we do, what we try to do, is leave a, a hint of doubt in people's minds and say, well, maybe you're not really saved. You better do more good works. And we try to manipulate them into this obedience. So we don't want to preach grace. We don't want to preach that they've been free from all their sins, past, present, and future. We want them to believe. But if you screw up too much... He might take it away from you. So don't go screwing up. And, and we, we want to leave some doubt in there so that people won't abuse the grace of Jesus Christ. And the thing that I've learned in Scripture this week, that God just revealed to me and go, man, don't you understand? A true believer cannot abuse the grace of Jesus Christ. Because if you're a true believer and you know the grace of Jesus Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit is in you. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, he makes you a slave to what is right. 
That's why Paul preaches and he goes, he goes, what? Am I going to just keep on sinning so that grace will increase? He goes, may it never be. I can't do that. I can't do that. That's impossible for me. I'm a slave to what's right. Those of you who know Jesus Christ and know the grace of the cross, could you really, could you really walk out of this room and abuse God's grace? You, you could really do that. Just leave here and go, well, I'm just going to keep on sinning then. You can't, can you? You can't because the Holy Spirit is in you and I'm going to stop worrying about you abusing the grace of Jesus Christ because if the Holy Spirit is in you, you can't. He won't let you. He doesn't let me. Man, if I try to abuse the grace of Jesus Christ, I cannot pull it off. There is a force inside me. There is a power inside me. There is a person inside me who won't let me. And so I'm going to preach grace. I'm going to preach it to you. I'm going to preach it to me. I've been set free, completely free by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm free from all of my sin, all of my guilt, all of my shame. I can take a deep breath and look you in the eye with confidence and say, look, if I died right now, I'd go straight to heaven because of the grace of Jesus Christ. The blood is enough for me. It's absolutely enough. Absolutely enough. And if you abuse that, it's because you don't really know it. There's only two types of people in the world. People who don't know the grace of Jesus Christ. And the people who do. And the people who do have the Holy Spirit in them. And they'll be motivated to do good works. That's why verse 10 is so important. I'm going to close with this. So they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, say to the Jews. Verse 10. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do. Okay, I'm going to point something out here. Two things. One, isn't it interesting that at this council, they're, they're saying, hey, you know what? Okay, yeah, it is freedom. It is grace. But after it's all done, they go, hey, okay, yeah, you're free to do whatever you want. He goes, but would you remember the poor? Isn't that cool? That's the one thing they mentioned. Shows that it's pretty important, isn't it? To love. And then the other thing I want to point out is Paul says, well, that was the very thing we were eager to do. Of course I'm going to remember the poor. I want to remember the poor. Duh. If I'm a believer, like First John 3 says, it says, well, if you see your brother in need and you have material possessions, you take no pity on him. How could the love of Christ be in you? But if the love of Christ is in you, you're going to be eager for these things. See what I mean? You can't abuse grace. The Holy Spirit won't let you. That's why when I speak about the poor, I don't have to beg some of you. Come on, no, really, have a heart for the poor. You're eager for it. When I say, look, you can have love, joy, peace, patience, I don't have to convince you. You go, no, I want that. I'm eager for that. When I say you can be free from your sin, free from all of this, this, this junk that you're doing in this life that you were in bondage to, and now you're free from it all, I don't have to convince you. You want it. So you don't abuse the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the very grace of Jesus Christ that motivates you. And makes you eager for good works. But for too long I've been scared to preach grace. Scared to fully, fully, fully talk about freedom. Because I'm scared of the hypocrisy, scared of the abuse of grace. And I'm just realizing, you know what, I can't control that. I can't manipulate that. Those who don't know the grace of Jesus Christ will continue to abuse it. But it's because you don't know it. And those who know it, the Holy Spirit's in you. You're good. I'm not worried about you.
mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever wandering heart? Not because of who I am. But because of what you've done Not because of what I've done But because of who you are I am a flower quickly fading Here today and gone tomorrow A wave tossed in the ocean Vapor in the wind Still you hear me when I'm calling Lord, you catch me when I'm falling And you've told me who I am I am yours I am yours Who am I That the eyes that see my sin Would look on me that calm the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me not because of who I am but because of what you've done not because of what I've done but because of who you are I am a flower queen
You are now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour in our broadcast program. Download the app for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, available on Play Store and App Store. You can now listen to this week's or past week's programs on your Androids or iPhones. Just search for Heart and Soul to find it in the store. If you have any questions, please call us at 602-866-8999 or heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-A-N-D-S-E-O-U-L dot org at gmail.com. Following is a program titled, The Lord is My Shepherd, where we learn about our Lord who is our shepherd through Psalm chapter 23. Hello listeners, this is Jim Hughes with The Lord is My Shepherd. Did you grow richly in Jesus Christ, who is our Good Shepherd last week? Last time, We said when a shepherd buys a sheep, paying the price with all that he has, he picks and chooses the sheep carefully, and that God, the one who chose you and me, also chose us in that way. We've also talked about the fact that this doesn't mean that he chooses us according to our virtues or flaws. To tell the truth, God bought you and me by giving his only son, Christ who is God himself, he gives us his all. Now, are you and I the type of sheep that warrant such a high price? That's right. God has said, yes, this is the unlimited grace of God. So, last time, we shared about the meaning of the Lord is my shepherd. And today, We'd like to think about the confession that follows. I shall not want. If I ask you to picture a farm, what comes to your mind? Can you picture sheep eating in a wide green pasture and the shepherd sitting under the shade of a big tree, maybe playing the flute or the lyre? Just thinking about that makes us feel peaceful. But what if instead of that farm, You heard the word breeding farm. What kind of image does that raise in your mind? There might be a great difference between the farms. Doesn't a picture of animals confined within bars, living in poor surroundings come to mind when you think of a breeding farm? What is the purpose of the animals being raised in a breeding farm? Their purpose is simply to supply meat. Therefore, people don't care much about their surroundings or health nearly as much. Their purpose is to grow fast and to be slaughtered to supply meat. The sheep that confess, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What kind of environment would that sheep grow in? That sheep that lives in the breeding farm with the purpose of supplying meat cannot confess, I shall not want. The good shepherd raises his sheep in such a way that they don't feel any need. He provides the environment where the sheep can grow healthy. And for that reason, he leads them to 
a good environment. Psalm 23.2 tells us what kind of environment that would be. And we'll be looking at this environment soon. Today, we will look at the opposite kind, the sheep that grows in the breeding farm. Let's imagine the conditions of a breeding farm first. A breeding farm feeds the sheep constantly. It makes them feel very full, and after having fed them, they don't require any work from them. The environment is set in such a way that they won't have to move around much. They also vaccinate them early to prevent any illness and pain. If we talk about the environment of the breeding farm like this, it doesn't sound all that bad, right? There's no lack of eating and sleeping. Also, they don't have to worry about anything. However, there is no one that will say, you are so lucky because you lack nothing looking at these sheep that live in this type of environment. Why is that? Because we have the eyes to be able to see the truth. And because we can see the truth, we feel sorry for the reality the cattle face. In reality, all that they do is not actually for the cattle. The cattle are fed with forage that makes them gain weight, not for their own health, but so that they will get fat. The environment is designed in such a way that sheep will gain more weight and produce more meat. The vaccinations as well are not really for the health of the cattle, but they inject a large amount of antibiotics so that the quality of the product will not be devalued. The one that has eyes to see this truth cannot really say there is no insufficiency in their lives. Our lives are not so different from theirs. If we live our lives with our spiritual eyes closed, we would think that the one who gets to eat a lot and doesn't get sick, the one that dies after having lived a comfortable life, is the life with no want. In reality, many people dream of this type of life without any want. And they spend their whole lives working hard to obtain it. But this type of life is just like the cattle that live to die. There's nothing else but only death waiting at the end. Satan, our enemy, works to make people become that way. He wants to take people with him to the lake of fire that he will eventually be thrown into. If our spiritual eyes are opened, we would not want to live such a life. Just like no one would say that the cattle living on the breeding farm have no want, no one would say that living on this earth without thinking much, eating and drinking comfortably, not getting sick and not moving much is a life without want. The true meaning of a life without any want is to live a life that is nurtured by our shepherd, Jesus Christ. Even if our environment is full of things, if our shepherd, Christ, does not nurture us, then that life is full of wants. However, if it seems like our environment is not full, if Christ is the one nurturing our lives, our lives are without any want. 
This is because our environment, that seems like it's not getting filled, is in reality being carefully shaped by our shepherd, Christ. Our values must change. The purpose of accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord is not so that we won't have to worry about eating, getting sick, or moving around. Did you accept Jesus Christ to eat well, to live well, and to be prosperous in this earthly life? If you're using the Lord for this reason, then your life will always have wants and your heart will have no peace because of it. This is because Jesus never promised us that he will fill us with those type of things. However, the person that eats and drinks of Jesus Christ, the source of true bread and living water, will live his life without any want. This is because only Jesus is our everything. We must live keeping this value deep within our bones. The Lord is my shepherd. With this truth alone, there is no want in our lives. Please listen along next week when we return with The Lord is My Shepherd.
I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. These are the words of Genesis chapter 9, verse 11 through 16. God told us to look at the rainbow that appears from a cloud and remember His promise to never again use the flood to destroy all living things. But the world we live in today use that symbol of promise that God gave us as a symbol of homosexuals that stand against God, as if to mock the covenant that He has made to us. The world will only continue to twist God's words into lies and continue to do detestable things in the eyes of the Lord. The world is already heading towards the end days, towards destruction. Nevertheless, 
Although we are living in this world, we are people of God's kingdom, citizens of heaven, and not this world that will perish. If so, shouldn't we live like ones who have received God's grace and favor, as those who have been saved? What would it matter if we were derided and mocked by the people of the world? We will only stay for a short while on this world, so it should be okay if we are lacking in comforts, if we have to endure a little suffering. We must strive to live according to God's standards, walking with Him and obeying His every command, if we are indeed Christ's disciples. We have found favor in the Lord, and in His grace, He gave us His Son so that we can freely follow Him. I hope that all of our listeners will always be mindful of the Lord and obey every command that God gives us, that He also would call us His righteous people, blameless in our time, living in the victory that has been given to us until the end. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week, and God bless. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. I lose, I will fall